You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we're back. It's Saturday. We're recording. I've done a lot of in-person live peopling, so it's good to be back behind a camera and a microphone where people <laughs> Where you belong. <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually, you know, it's sort of funny. You were sharing with with some of your your online friends yesterday. You know, having done in person peopling and work party for for day job and all of that. And yesterday was the work party after work for day job people for for Husbeast. And so he came home and did his whole rundown. And it was kind of a I was kind of keeping score as I was going through of like, <laughs> I think you could make a bingo card of day job work party things which I guess means that I'm going to owe one to the listeners in the not-too-distant future because mine is Thursday of next week. So we'll have to see if from that we can come up with reliable bingo card elements for for what happens at the holiday shindigs for our various places of employment. So yes. I, I guess then th- this raises the question of, of Mer Lafferty, who we love yes. and adore, has have you ever been been trapped in an unusually awkward holiday shindig related to employment in some way, shape, or form? Inquiring minds want to know. I have been a freelancer for many, many, many years, but back in the late '90s, early 2000s, I worked for Redstorm Entertainment, now known as Ubisoft Entertainment, and this was like more during the dot com excitement. And even though we weren't a dot com, we were computer game company they did have the christmas parties with the open bars and that's when we established the term that guy and the rule was if you don't remember who that guy was last night it was you oh okay yeah there were (laughs) so so there were parties with with open bars and stuff and now the, the holiday party is pretty much dead for my husband's place of employment, but the couple of times we have gone, like in the past couple of years, it's been like two drink tickets and mm. it's over at eight. <laughs> and so <laughs> you tell They're getting wise like, to y'all. Yeah. Yes. It, you know, this isn't Red Storm anymore, but this is like, this is a very specific holiday party plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you want to keep drinking, you, you can't go, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay at the holiday party. So, yeah, yeah. No, I get, I, I get where you're coming from there. I don't think you I'm going to no, have. Hold on, hold on. So, yeah, uh, yeah. two things. Number one, I don't, I don't want Mur to think that I'm ignoring her. I'm riding the mute because my dog <laughs> is losing his shit downstairs right now. Because, um, because there's people, there's people outside the house, and they're doing. <laughs> they might they be having a holiday party. Who know. wants in? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they're so going to kill one. you. Number two, mm-hmm. number two yeah, where I work, where I work, and and there's occasionally the chance that someone from there might listen because they know that I do this stuff. I don't think this is a secret. I don't think this is going to offend anybody, but you know how a lot of times you do, you do themes for parties. Like oh, yeah. you do like mm-hmm. a Hawaiian theme or you'll do uh, like, you know, under the sea prom, whatever, like you have a theme or casino. Uh, the theme. Yeah. The theme at almost every single thing we've ever done at this company is boobs. <laughs> that's the like, theme. That's the theme. Yeah, we used to do the white elephant, and mm-hmm. the white elephant. We can't anymore because we've grown too big. It's like just too big of a company now, and and mm-hmm. so they don't do that anymore. But uh, every year that we did that, it was booze. Like oh, there would yeah. be bottles of wine, there would be bottles of whiskey, there would be cases of beer, like random IPA beers and all this kind of stuff. So it's like I just got to the point where I was like. It's just booze. That's all they ever do. Like I gave up trying to buy other things to get people to do other things. And I just started throwing a bottle of wine on the pile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, if wine. someone did bring something, if someone did bring something that wasn't booze, I would use my steel to steal it because I knew that no one else would steal it from me. And this is how I got, you know, like the pancake mix thing or, oh. or, uh, one year, like someone brought a Lego star Wars thing and I was like, Holy crap. And, and afterwards mm-hmm. they said, yeah, I was hoping that you would see that and steal it. Cause it was really free. <laughs> I was like, Oh, cool. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. Welcome to so the now I'm kind of what I'm kind of wondering if like 
the the actual theme is not so much booze as it is the reveal that and this is my SF brain working here but like the reveal that your your place of employment is actually some kind of subsidiary that provides offerings to the contemporary manifestation of Dionysus or something <laughs> like is there some kind of like god of revelry that that is being empowered by the I don't know this would be you're not supposed to talk about it they're not yeah, supposed to talk about it. yeah what what happens at the top of Olympus stays at the top of, of Olympus, as it were. So, well, it's so awesome to have you back. It's been thank you. Oh gosh, I didn't even look back in my notes, but it's been not all that long since we had you last because you were with us for Station Eternity, the first of your Midsolar mm-hmm. Murders books, and now you're back for the sequel, Chaos Terminal. So it's yes. great to have you. It's great to see the series chugging along and and doing its great things. And I guess. I continue to be, and this is kind of like extending back to an episode we had a couple of weeks ago, uh, where we had on a, uh, the editor of an anthology of uh, mystery, murder mystery short stories. I continue to be kind of fascinated by the sort of revival of the cozy as a modality mm-hmm. for for murder mysteries, and particularly like kind of taking elements at it that you can kind of wink and nudge at and putting it into the speculative fiction space. So I guess I'm, I kind of, I always want to know where the fun is. So where was the fun for you having done station eternity already in going back for chaos terminal? Oh, I didn't mean for that to be hard. Gosh. Well, I mean, I'm, I, it's, 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 it's book two of a series. So I'm trying to right, yeah, yeah. something so that wasn't said during station eternity. Um, mm, yeah, fair, fair. I was, I think what I'm learning the fun is of murder mysteries is the cast of suspects because it Mm. can't, nobody talks about this, but I mentioned it a lot in the books, you know, hanging a lamp. Is it lantern or lampshade? I will never remember. It's lampshade, but yeah, I know. Yeah. Hanging a lampshade on it is the fact that every suspect has a connection probably to another suspect and always to the murder victim. Mm-hmm. And so this is why, you know, you've got the, the, the family and maybe one extended friend as mm-hmm. the murder victim or murder suspects or, or everybody who went to college together or something and coming up with connections that are interesting and not obvious yeah. is the fun right now. So, you know, I've got, I've got both in, in chaos terminal, I have both a family and a spouse and coworkers all in one as as the suspects. But um, I think that's, that's the fun. It's, it's trying to come up with something new for the, to make the suspects interesting, engaging, and all of them possibly capable of murder. Each one shady in their own way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Patrick probably remembers this too, but in the recent past when we've had people on who've done speculative fiction work that has like a mystery angle to it, another thing that several of them have shared is the difficulty in, you know, they've got, they're they're holding the story in their head. They know which clues are, are going to lead down a profitable path. They know what's red herrings. They know what are coincidences and what aren't. It's a kind of increasing feeling as they write the book of this is so obvious. Everybody's going to figure this out. Oh my God, this is so obvious. Everybody's going to figure this out. Yes. Which kind of makes me wonder how, what's the antidote for that? Like in your writing process, is it like getting exactly the right beta readers in on things at the right stages? Is it just sort of trusting your gut until you're the final product to put out for, for consumption? I'm not organized enough for beta readers. I'm usually writing up to my deadline, so there's no time to get it to beta readers and have them read it. The thing I realize is, damn it, I can't remember who said it, but somebody explained writing to me as, it's like the Statue of Liberty. When you are writing, you are inside it. You are seeing all the connections. You're seeing all the support. You're seeing how it was created, and it does not look like a work of art. You step outside and you see this glorious statue. And you don't see mm-hmm. everything inside connecting it. And one of the downsides to being a novelist is you see all the connections. You see how the sausage is made. And you mm-hmm. don't think that – you don't realize that when you present it to somebody, they're not going to have the benefit of your head te- pointing out which connections are which. 
This is something mm. I've I've had to just realize. And I'm not saying like I'm obviously brilliant, so I never have to worry about it. But it's it's just remembering that people are not going to see what you intended. I mean, that that is a downside to writing is that the thing you put on right. the page is never what you had 100% what you had in your head. And um, they're only going to have the words you wrote to go on. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'll miss a page, not like pages stuck together, but I'll like be halfway distracted and only halfway read a page. And I can figure out what's going on next in the context. But then somebody mentions a character or someone's job. And I'll be like, where was that established? And I'll go back and I'll say, yeah. Oh crap, I missed that. So it's like, that's going to happen too. No one's going mm-hmm. to be scouring your text as closely as hopefully your editor does. So it's just remembering that you you're inside making the sausage and you're going to put all that meat into one nice casing and someone else is going to get it. And the metaphor has fallen apart for me now. (laughs) I kind of dig it though, because now we're inside of a giant statue of Liberty sized sausage that is so great that it has architectural support. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's, it it kind of captures the kind of existential horror that sometimes is the creative process. So well done. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. Thank you. I want to, I want to add uh, and kind of pile on to what Mer said, because I, I had this conversation, gosh, probably with JT a while ago, but it was uh, talking about how the reader will also invent things. Like they will, they will, they will take whatever oh, yeah. you have written, and they will go, "Oh, this is this," and it mm-hmm. was not anything you ever thought as the writer. Yeah. Like you didn't, you didn't make that connection, but they did, and now for them, it's this huge thing. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have made that connection. They have they have gone down that road. Uh, and the other thing I'll throw out there is is Mer's absolutely right. They're not going to scour it, but there's going to be that one asshole who does. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the person that's going to ask you the question at the convention. That's going to make you go, "What?" That's why I have a ringer in every public reading <laughs> I have, to oh, um, wow. because I. I can't, I can't stand up for myself. I'm not a good arguer. And if I'm on stage, it's even worse. So I've had people mm-hmm. ask terrible questions, insulting questions, not even like, not in, not outright insulting, but asking questions one would ask during a workshop instead sure. of oh. you are presenting your book to me. And mm-hmm. I just freeze and I usually answer them as if they're legit. And so I always have a ringer in the audience to be the one to set to, to it's like, you're the one who has to step up and say, no, that's not good. <laughs> and I uh, never had to use it, of course, since I, I established that. But I was having some problems around the six weeks times that was pretty, pretty infuriating. Mm-hmm. What, one thing that's funny about what you said, Patrick, is there's a there's an error in six weeks that it's my most widely read book and no one has ever pointed it out and I'm just mm. fascinated. I forgot I forgot it. I forgot a chapter title because it's the first oh. chapter after a part. So you've got the part, you got the break, mm. you name the part, and then you go into the chapter. I just didn't name the chapter. I came up with it. I made up a name on the fly for the audiobook. So audiobook people oh. will have a chapter title for every single chapter in the print book. I, no, there's I one read that's six weeks in audiobook and I was like, I don't remember any weird blip like that. Right. And so that's because okay. I made it up on All the right. fly. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I, I keep expecting someone to go, why doesn't this chapter have a title? And no one ever has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now well, you've you... opened the floodgates. So I, you know, it's okay. It's, it's the books, <laughs> the books aging. It's, it's doing, you know, it's what, six, seven years old now. So, yeah. And it's still out there doing good work. I, I believe the timing of the last time we had you on was such that it wasn't, you know, at, at the holiday season. But last year, shortly before the holidays, uh, my father-in-law, uh, who's a really cool guy and who I who I get along with really well, was going to have a soldier. Uh, soldier? Good Lord. Try again, Townsend. He was going to have a shoulder replacement surgery. And he was actually just shortly out of having had that surgery as the holidays began. And I don't know if you ever had that type of work done before. I haven't. But apparently it's just like deeply debilitating and awful in all sorts of ways because you suddenly realize your shoulders do tons of stuff, even when you think yeah. you're just sitting there making your shoulder do nothing. Um, yeah. And so it was 
making it difficult for him to sleep and difficult for him to, you know, just, you know, get up and down out of chairs and all sorts of stuff. And he was just generally miserable. And a lot of his hobbies and things that entertain him are very active in the sense of like, he likes to tinker, he likes to build, he likes to play guitars and the bass. Uh, and so, you know, the shoulder was not going to admit of that. And so we were trying to come up with ideas of what to give him for Christmas. And uh, Husbeast and I, kind of came up with like, okay, he was one of the biggest readers we ever knew and fell out of the habit about 30 years ago and just kind of stopped reading almost cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start him again. And so I went to um, went to my, my friendly local bookstore and I went like this on the shelf. I'm doing the sweeping all the books onto <laughs> the, the, the cart motion right now for benefit of people who don't have video because there is no video. Um, but <laughs> I did that with, and I grabbed like as many things where I'm like, this is going to grab him and this is going to grab him. And I know this and I'll stand by this. And I grabbed him some Scalzi and I grabbed him um, some uh, some Sanderson and I grabbed him, you know, some different, and I grabbed him six wicks um, because, you know, he, he's always been a skeptic about mysteries. Um, and so I was like, this one's going to get it. I'm like, get you, Dado. You're going to read this and it's going to work for you. Um, and I saw him about a week after Christmas and he had already read through a tremendous number of them, but he had read six weeks first and six weeks was the one that convinced him that he needed to get back into reading. And so now this year armed with a Kindle, (laughs) our Christmas gift to him, he doesn't listen. So I can say to this, it's just basically going to be a butt ton of credit with which to buy more books and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, well well done, Murr. You've brought a sheep back to the flock. (laughs) Yeah, well done. Hey, <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad it helped. It's 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 funny. I think I, it, it's not like a. I have not put words to this, so this is gonna be awkward. I'm sorry. You know, you've got the the important literature lit fic, and then yeah, the when you get into I, science fiction, L. yeah, when you get into science fiction, there's still a hierarchy of here are the smart books the Arcady Martins, the Ann Leckies. Um, and then I feel like you've got like Legends and Lattes and my stuff. It's like, this is stuff mm. that's not difficult to read, but it, it's just escapism. It's fun. And I yeah. never think that those will be treasured. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always, what, what gets me is, you're not the first person to say someone has recuperated from an injury or an illness using my books. I've heard hmm. that maybe that's the third or fourth time I've heard that, which is just great. So I'm just going to start saying that the cozier side is good <laughs> for recuperating and it needs to be in all the pharmacy bookshelves next to all the religious things. So you've got yeah. like the Bible and the soul, mid-solar murder. Yeah. Yeah. Solar murder. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing I'm going on. And again, I'm not, and I've talked to Travis Baldry about this. I'm not putting down my stuff or his stuff. I just didn't think that they would be treasured like that. And both six weeks and legends and lattes were nominated for the Hugo and the nebula. So I think it's oh, yeah. getting to people more for their favorite books, but it's still and again, maybe it's just because I'm in the inside the Statue of Liberty sausage maker that I'm not seeing the the literary value. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm digging myself a hole here. You talk, Patrick. No, yeah. it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's entertainment. It's entertainment and, and it's comforting. And that's what helps people. Yeah. And so I burn through a lot of audiobooks, uh, as our listeners mm-hmm. know. Like I that's my that's my only consumption of fiction at this point is I just do audiobooks. And because I work from home, I can listen to audiobooks as I'm working. Mm-hmm. And I do that. Uh, I am also the weirdo who will play video games with sound down and listen to an audiobook while I'm playing the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm that guy. And so I, I, I don't think that's weird. I think that just means you're insanely smart that you can parallel process in those ways. Because <laughs> if I don't focus exclusively on the video game, then my, my character is just walking continuously into a corner and yeah so <laughs> well uh my my point is that a lot of the ones that i listen to are not literary giants mm-hmm. you know these are these are not these are not the books that are that are uh going to be 
you know, on on these lists of you have to read this because of the massive impact it has on the genre right. and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm listening to things because they're fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening mm-hmm. to them because the the story is engaging and the characters are engaging and 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 stuff's happening that that's that's just you know comforting or that's yeah. just getting me, you know, I, I'm enjoying it. That's my point. I'm yeah. enjoying it. And mm-hmm. and so I think the 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 area that you're talking about, Mur, the 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 category for lack of a better phrase, is it are books that are fun and they, mm-hmm. they, they, they have things that just speak to us. And so that's why we enjoy them so much. And that's why we share them. Right. There's always, there's always something that's going to get somebody reading. I've, I've talked about my friend in Japan who I do, I do think listens occasionally, uh, you know, having lived there for so long, he was, he, he was trying to find a job, but he was struggling with his conversational English at this point because he'd been in country so long and he spoke Japanese so much. You know, we grew up in California and he's like, I think I need to listen to audiobooks. So I just started giving him audiobook recommendations of things that I have enjoyed. And now mm-hmm. he's totally hooked and he's, he's burning through books like crazy. And, you know, a lot of it's fun stuff. That's just, you know, it's not, it's not too heavy. It's not too deep. It's just things that I enjoy. Or in some cases it's a narrator that I enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, like Luke Daniels mm-hmm. doing the, the Kevin Hearn stuff, you know? And uh, that was actually funny because he listened to the first one of those. He's like, oh, my God, this is that dog voice you've been doing. I said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the dog voice I've been doing. <laughs> he so. found your bit. Yeah. <laughs> and going back to what you were saying before, Mur, about, you know, kind of thinking about how to how to frame a response to getting that type of feedback from from readers who have found real value in in the reading experience. You know, there's that capital I, capital L, important literature mm-hmm. thing that you were talking about. And, you know, just to be a giant dork and roll up my sleeves here a little bit and go full English teacher here. I mean, Horace, man, if we kind of go, I don't mean Horace, man, like as in surname. I mean, Horace, comma, man, as the uh, uh, sort of uh, expletive there. He gives us that the function of literature is to delight and instruct. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about the idea of literature being important, I think it's very easy for us culturally um, and certainly because of the influences of academic spaces and award spaces and things like that to get hung up on the idea of important existing within this really narrow realm of like what you were talking about, Patrick, like genre influence um, or like it's sort of power to shape. Uh, how how a body of literature evolves or how culture responds or things like that. And I think that it's easy for us to get that the importance of literature really lies within the relationship it builds with its readers. And that's really it. Like all literature's fundamental importance starts there. And whether or not the importance rises to the level of, and now this will be on someone's syllabus in the future um, for, for the flogging of innocent undergraduates or not, is a different kind of importance and it's, it is equally subjective, you know, to the importance of that, that personal experience that makes this the chicken soup for the soul of, of in space on space station murder mystery things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, all right. So given that your sort of foundational principle here is kind of fun, like yeah. it's gotta be fun for the reader. It's gotta be fun for you. What's the, for you, what's the sort of fun of turning murder mystery in space into a series? Because obviously you did it in a, in a powerful standalone in, in six weeks. But the idea of doing it as a series is, I think, kind of um, it's a different animal. Like series expect different things of their readers and their their writers. Yeah. You keep the fun. Yeah. Um, I I've only I've. I'm only saying this from my limited experience um, doing series, but for me, it's you establish fun characters that are not either they either they're murder suspects the very first time they're introduced and then never again, or uh, they're never suspects. So this is like. Um, the cab drivers and Miss Fisher's uh, companion and, and Miss Fisher and um, the, the 
Barnaby's family in Midsummer Murders and uh, oh right, the Broken Wood. It's a New Zealand uh, cozy mystery series where they've got this like strung out guy who's not very smart, but he's always in an episode and he's always got some sort of weird job and he's always got some sort of weird thing to give to the cops to help them solve the mystery. And I think like bringing human back day-ish characters. Yeah. So, so not quite that obvious, but you know, it's like he's now he's running a coffee cart. So people are coming to his coffee cart. So he's going to, you know, say, point out while, you know, fretting about the fact that his turtle has run away. And um, I think bringing back a cast of characters that doesn't change and giving them small story arcs is uh, that's where the fun comes. And I had so much fun with it in chaos terminal. I'm like, Oh, right. I have to make, write a murder mystery here. And I had to cut at least one chapter because it was not related to the murder mystery at all. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it is, it has to be science fiction on the station, but the, the, the A plot will always be the murder mystery in this series. And so yeah. I can do, I can have fun with the B plot, but I still have to make that murder mystery. And, you know, I kind of fell into this, but it's, I realized that I created a character who she is, for anybody listening to this for the first time, this is um, this is a character who has been in the cozy role and hanging a lampshade on it in that people die around her and no one knows why and people suspect her or they don't want to be around her. And so I just took like most of the cozy tropes and just shoved them on her and she's completely aware of them as well. So um, the the fact is that there's going to be a law enforcement person who um, is going to mistrust her or be mad that she's uh, interfering or something. Mm -hmm. But then when, and that happens, but then when she goes to the station, she is one of very few humans there. And there's always something bad going on. That's the B plot with the station. And so she is by default, the person who has to solve the murder because there's so much bad stuff going on for the station. Everybody in authority is going, we don't care about your little dead body. We got this going on. So you have to solve it. And so she's kind of put into a completely opposite situation where she's not only encouraged, but she has to be the one to solve it because this is small peanuts compared to um, what else is going on. It it reminds, I, I think I probably got inspiration from Ben Winters and his um, last policeman at the end of the world. That, oh, okay. Not sure if that's called. But it's it's a story about they have identified the um, asteroid that's going to destroy the Earth. And they know when. And so basically the world has devolved into hedonism. Everyone's picked up smoking again. People still have jobs. But they don't really do them. And you've got this one homicide investigator. Oh, also there's a lot of suicides. And there's one homicide guy who's just like finds a dead body and he's like, I think this was a murder. And everyone else is like, who cares? (laughs) And he's like, no, I have to solve this murder. And so it's a really interesting concept. It's a trilogy and I actually haven't finished it. So I don't know if the asteroid actually hits or not, but um, (laughs) just that, that the B plot is the fact that the earth's going to be absolutely destroyed in a couple of years. And the A plot is who killed that guy in the bathroom. And so I think Mm -hmm. that, inspired me a little bit of making like, the B plot seems like the most important, but not to this limited focus of this story. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we, we've been chatting for 30 minutes. What, what is the, what is like the, the pitch, the plot line for chaos terminal? Like what, what is the, what is the story here? What's going to get chaos people terminal? To oh boy. I'm not figuring out how to say this without spoiling. Okay. Uh, Chaos Terminal has our hero, Mallory Viridian, coming back, um, knowing a little bit more about herself and why she has the ability or feelings or whatever she has to be around when murders happen. More humans are coming to the station. The uh, the nice, which are the giant uh, statuesque 
rock people. Two of them broke a rule in Station Eternity that is coming back to haunt them. So they're, that's like a C-plot right there, which is mm-hmm. Tina, who has become a fan favorite character because she's not smart. She's very enthusiastic and she's completely 100% self-aware. She doesn't think she's a mental giant. She just knows exactly who she is and what she wants. And, and she's delightful. Um, so we've got them dealing with that. And then the people that come to the station, the group of um, suspects are Mallory's two of Mallory's friends from high school, a couple of extended family of theirs. And then a couple of people they work with and the FBI guy who blames Mallory for ruining his career for, um, because of, uh, he got obsessed with tracking to see what her connections were to all the murders. And there never was one. Um, so that's there. And one of the, the, the spoiler, the really obnoxious, really obnoxious guy gets killed and she has to figure out, but the, one of the little weird things is she remembers her best friend from high school, but she does not remember her twin at all. And her twin was the guy that she had this major crush on. And once she sees him, she remembers, but that memory was wiped somehow. And she doesn't know how or why. And that is one big clue to what happens in the rest of the book. Yeah. This is, I just want to point out. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, you can go ahead. I just, yeah. Oh, I was going to blame Ursula Vernon because she really likes to <laughs> freak me out with uh, animal facts. And so it was mm. one day talking about wasp facts that um, I wasn't freaked out. I just started taking notes. So <laughs> Ursula okay. really helped out a lot with these, uh, with the little, because again, if you're not a reader of this book, this series, one of the alien races is called the Sundry, and it is a literal hive mind of giant wasps. Giant, mm-hmm. like, thumb-sized wasps. Not mm-hmm. people-sized wasps. Yeah, yeah. Horrific enough with the giant hive mind of wasps. Don't, yes. need, to, don't need to people-size them. I was about to say, yeah. like, I, you had me at statuesque stone people, which I see mm-hmm. what you did there. Um, so, <laughs> you know... Um, they're, they're even more prepared yeah. for the ongoing metaphor of the uh, giant, you know, Statue of Liberty made out of sausage than any of the rest of exactly. us. Like, uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the stone people, I felt weird because, you know, going back to the, the titans of science fiction literature, stone people are a major part of N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth series. Yes. But then she also wasn't the first person to do it. So there was also a stone golem in dragon age origins, the mm-hmm. video game that came out years ago. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, and then there was the guy, the minor character in guardians of the Thor galaxy. Ragnarok. That was, a, yeah. Ragnarok. Uh, he shows up first yeah. in Thor Ragnarok and then we get him okay. more of him later. Yeah. I yeah. Think. So, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just that kind of character. Large, made of stone, destructive, without meaning yeah. to be sometimes. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, just the world's really not meant for, for a lot of engagement on from, from the stone yeah. crowd, as it were. But, <laughs> but that's another fun thing, uh, going back to your first question. Uh, putting a human on a station that has not been created for humans, I did not want to deal with uh, language issues. I feel like language mm-hmm. issues either have to be a part, a major part of the plot or you just glaze over them because there's yeah. no middle ground. Universal so, transit. Um, yes, exactly. But so there's, um, but they have to deal with the fact that there's not a lot of food they can eat and there's not a lot of furniture that fits their bodies. And as more mm-hmm. people arrive, the station herself is sentient so she can create stuff for them to sit on and lie on but you know going to a bar that's created for the nice they have to like climb on the stools like a toddler and Mm -hmm. remembering that not every thing is sized for humans was another fun Mm -hmm. thing there's a scene where where the humans are not walking fast enough so Tina picks them up and throws them up a staircase because the stairs are very tall, like for the, for the nice. And they're just very 
resentful of that. They because yeah, she knew she, dwarf it would awesome. be tough. Yeah. 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 yeah kind of one of the one of the the fun audiobook series that I listened to, uh, I I honestly do not remember the author's name, which is sad, and I and I apologize for that. But I remember the narrator is R. C. Bray. And uh, the first book is Expeditionary Force, and then they go on forever. And like he's got a couple of spinoffs and everything. And they're not they're not hard SF really. They're not they're not brain teasers. There's a MacGuffin that's introduced very very early on, which is an elder AI that can basically solve any problem. And mm-hmm. uh, but the humans uh, the humans find out that the universe is not what they thought it was, and uh, bad things are happening and bad things are planned against humans. This one guy gets some humans to steal a ship so that they can kind of defend themselves. But the ship is not made for humans. The, 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 mm-hmm. the aliens who owned the ship originally are like half the size of humans. So mm-hmm. humans can't fit in the chairs. Like yeah. The beds and the bunks are all really small and they kind of have to lay with their, their bodies kind of, you know, in a, in a fetal position on the side to fit in and there's no headroom and they keep bumping their mm-hmm. heads on this stuff. And it, it, it's just funny. Like, I like that. that yeah. yeah. Why would it, why it would it be? Yeah. As a trope in science fiction, it definitely has plenty of comic angles to it, but I also just on the psychological level kind of dig it as a trope when we have human beings encountering spaces in space that are predominantly not designed for their use because I think it's a cool device to kind of, one of the ways the language of SF helps us reframe our mind around the idea that the universe was not actually created for us in that kind of like strictly kind of atheist uh, language of kind of like science fiction fundamentalism, right? That that we're imagining a universe that exists full of different types of life forms, and we are such a vanishingly small subset of what those life forms could be or be shaped like or look like, um, that no, of course, it's, it's not designed for our comfort or our convenience. It's designed for a much wider range of beings of which we are only a part. And so our relationship here on earth to kind of everything has been framed in terms of human primacy for so long that I always think it's super cool when science fiction, whether it's for comedic purposes or other purposes kind of puts humanity in its place. I I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's a fun place to stretch us to and to kind of uh, reorganize our brains around. So speaking of reorganizing our brain, do we want to reorganize our way to some picks of the week? We can sure. certainly do that. Picks of the week. All right, ta-da! So, Patrick, what you what you feeling like picking? Uh, I'm actually going to pick an audiobook. Uh, I wrote nice. this down before any of this conversation, but mm-hmm. uh, Robert. So, Robert is one of our our, our patrons said something that reminded me of an author that had a series out that I liked Michael J. Sullivan. And Michael does this thing that is mad and insane where he won't release a book in the series until he's finished it. Like he writes Mm -hmm. the entire series before he will release one because he doesn't want to leave people hanging Mm. and leave fans hanging. So I I had liked his Rayura. I think is how it's pronounced where you chronicles years and years ago. And uh, Robert had mentioned the the author and I thought, Oh, you know, he's got some other stuff I think that he released. And so uh, I went on a little bit of a binge uh, during black Friday. Audible had a sale on that was like ridiculous. And I want to say I bought 30, 30 books for like $30 and one credit. Wow. Like that's, that's how they were just on sale like they and they were doing all this weird stuff so i ended up getting uh his entire first empire series but the one i'm listening to right now is called age of myth and it's the first one in his legend of the first empire series and it's narrated by i have to read this tim tim gerald reynolds which is the same guy who read the the previous series and I like it. Uh, it. It's different. You know, he's he's really good at doing epic fantasy kind of stuff, but he he brings it down to a understandable, you know, kind of human level. 
And mm-hmm. in this case, it's it's set, you know, way back in the past from his original series. And the in in this time, uh, humans think that elves are gods because they live forever, and they're kind of subservient to the to the elves. And uh, there's all these laws, and and the elves kind of keep them in check. But mm-hmm. stuff starts to happen, and there's like an accidental death of an elf at the hands of a human, and that sparks all kinds of stuff. And uh, magic is on the rise with elves and. It's it's just fun. It's interesting, and uh, so I'm enjoying it. Uh, Age of Myth, Book One: Legends of the First Empire. Michael J. Sullivan. Very cool. All right. How about you, Mer? I'm doing my usual binge of Christmas romances and uh, Christmas mysteries, but I just interviewed uh, Chikudili Emilamadu about her new book, Dazzling, and mm-hmm. uh, which is a uses a lot of Nigerian myth and it's, it's an excellent book um, about two girls who kind of get chosen to carry some magic that were previously only considered for men and how they handle this kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's, she's got such a strong voice and her storytelling is so solid. And um, for a debut novel, it's pretty, you know, it's not even for a debut novel. It's surprising it's a debut novel because it's it's told so confidently. So um, if you like mythology in your fantasy, then I would recommend Dazzling. Nice. 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 I do like mythology and, in my and, fantasy. And what game are you picking? What board game are you picking this week, Tracy? <laughs> now, um, <laughs> in fairness to me, it is not a board game. However, okay. in fairness to Patrick... It's absolutely board game adjacent. So I have an extremely <laughs> sloppy recommendation, but it comes from my heart. Um, my, what I mean by sloppy recommendation is it's very kind of broad. And um, it was actually one of my favorite things to do for gift buying for uh, for friends, but especially for the husbeast. Um, because, again, board gaming people. Um, I love, 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 love Etsy's entire subcategory of shops run by people who make board game, tabletop board gaming accessories um, yes. because they are so fun. Um, and so what, let, let me kind of explain what I mean here. So lots of games come with, for example, an insane number of chits that you pop out of, you know, their cardboard frames and whatnot. And so have you ever wanted a storage solution that's like ideally suited for a particular game? There are people who build these that can, you know, slot directly into the original box so that everything is nicely sorted. Or do you want some kind of method for kind of like serving out the chits at the table that can work for lots of different games? And it's not just like, here's my sloppy pile of these things or my sloppy pile of those things. And we're just going to reach our big hairy paws over and slap at them to get our stuff. You can get like little chit dispensers or dishes with like magnetic things that hook together. Um, You can get trays that hang off the side of your table to help you organize your play space. Um, You can get play mats. You can get replacements for different bits that are kind of like the souped up versions of it. So do you play a game that involves kind of janky little coin currency, but it's, you know, janky little cardboard coin currency? Well, cool. Go on, and for like 15 bucks, you can get cast metal coin currency of like different sizes and values that you can use in any game that does coins. Um, Sometimes they're they're bits that are directly related uh, in in the green room before we got going here. Murr was unwrapping some filament for a 3D printer. So there are people who have, you know, their own maker spaces in their homes and you know, they've monetized their hobbies as one does in the 21st century and they've made their own alternative bits for games. And so like, do you want something that's actually pieces of fruit or whatever for this particular farming game? Cool. We have made realistic looking adorable pieces of fruit for your little farming game. Um, So I love it because there is always an opportunity to find an add-on to a game that Husbeast already loves or that a friend of mine already loves and plays that is kind of like a way of aesthetically improving it or kind of improving the convenience of gameplay. I feel like I'm supporting people who care about the hobby and are doing cool and interesting things. Um, 
and ju- it is just generally a fun place to sort of browse around where I feel a lot better than, you know, going to the Bezosaurus's Amazon and finding something made God knows where that can be shipped out in 14 seconds. Um, and so I highly recommend if you are listening to this when our episode goes live on the 19th and you're like, wow, I have a in-between Christmas and New Year's get-together that I'm doing with some friends for gaming or something. I'd like to bring them something nice. If you go to Etsy and check out their shops now, you could find something to have ready for that by then. And and I think you'd be really happy with what you could find, too. I would tell you what I've ordered already for Husbeast, but there is a risk of him actually listening to the episode. (laughs) So I'll just tell you after Christmas. That's really cool. I I did not. (laughs) Go on, Patrick. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I I, I, was just going to throw out like uh, it was Giles' birthday a couple weeks ago. And I went to Etsy and I bought Mm -hmm. a Viking pizza axe for him. As one does. Because his his pizza cutter doesn't cut pizza anymore. You get one that looks like and like what was that the bantha thing like you get one. It's that's not that big. Band. It's not that big. It's not like a. It's not like a batleth. Uh, yeah. It's it's it, it. You know you can hold it with one hand, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a it's a Viking axe with runes on it and a and a and a you know a carved wooden handle with with a design on it. And I mean it. It's really cool. It comes with a leather like holster so that you could put on your <laughs> belt if you wanted to, and and it, it's for cutting pizza. And, yeah. and that was a hit. That was a hit. Etsy, Etsy is a really cool place and it can, it can become very quickly a rabbit hole that you go down. So, and I think that's what Murr is afraid of is like the rabbit hole of going down that and just ordering bunches and bunches of stuff. It is dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I'm right. I'm there right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. I looking for the well, accessories. Yeah. I, I didn't know you could, I, didn't even think that you could find them on Etsy because um, we have a yeah. lot of those as well. We usually mm-hmm. buy them at conventions. And a I, lot of the I, people I imagine who go to conventions may have their own yeah. little Etsy storefronts. Yeah. I, yeah. I spent a lot of time. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on Etsy looking at the dice towers. They do they, have super cool dice sell, towers. They have some really cool dice towers and I was very, very close to buying one, but I couldn't make up my mind. So I ended up not oh. getting one. <laughs> mm. but I like, I couldn't make up my mind. Like I wanted like four different ones that they had. They have, they have new ones um, that one particular shop, gosh, I wish I could remember its name. They had a dice tower that like, it looks like a tower. Like it has, mm-hmm. you know, that, okay. that kind of textural quality to it. Um, but it's actually in addition to feed your dice in here and let them go down the roundabout thing and then land in the tray that is below. There is at the top of the tower, a, section adjacent to it so it's like a double split tower that holds your drink it's a drink (laughs) holder and a dice tower this is i mean suddenly capitalism is telling me i need this right like i just i just really need this (laughs) (laughs) such a nerd uh well it's been really fun having you on mer and i i'm getting the sense that um you need to work on your christmas shopping now um so (laughs) I can talk to you guys people... at Etsy too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So where can people find you online and, and do things to support you and your Etsy-based Christmas shopping habits? <laughs> uh, I have, All my stuff can be found at merverse.com. Um, and I have a Patreon, which is Mighty Mer, and a Substack, which is also Mighty Mer, and a Twitch channel, which is also Mighty Mer. So... Um, I'm doing my podcasts on Twitch, but I'm also looking to start, um, solo role-playing on there Mm -hmm. as my game of choice. Uh, unfortunately, like I told you guys before, uh, my gaming PC has not well, it's on the operating table now. So we'll see when that's going to come back. But luckily I got my last episode recorded on Thursday. (laughs) So good there. Got a little time. Um, but yeah. So anyway, search for Mer Lafferty or Mighty Mer. I'm um I just wanted a cool nickname and instead I got something very Googleable, you know, twenty years later. So good job, college me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just gonna throw out there uh that that I don't get to say this very often, so I like to say it when Mer's here, but Tracy, you should be writing. I should be writing. Okay. You should, should be, be writing. writing. I should be writing. Yes. Thanks, Mer. It's been great having you. 
Thank you, guys. It's always fun to talk to you. Dear Santa, well, it has certainly been a year. I hope you've been doing well up there at the North Pole, making toys, eating cookies, drinking Malort. I do celebrate Christmas, though it's been rough to do so the past couple of years. Not your fault. Still, I have a Christmas list for you, Santa, if you're listening. I'd love to have our listeners give us some stars on their favorite podcasting platforms, wherever they listen to podcasts. On Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever they're using. And to tell all of their friends that they should listen to us each and every week. Threats are okay if they don't listen to reason. I'd also love for our listeners to support Beyond the Trope by listening to their episodes. That would be nifty. But, you know, after this noirs, we should always come first. I'd also love for our listeners to have a safe and happy holiday season. Hopefully with people they love. And if not, at least with people they can tolerate for short amounts of time before going home again and cussing about them behind their backs. I'd love for the guy with the orange hair to totally get scrooged. And I'd like Quentin Tarantino to write and direct it. I'd love for Disney and Paramount to coordinate so that throughout the year I'm never not watching a new thing from either Star Wars or Star Trek and occasionally Marvel. Well, Santa, I think that's about it. I'd say I want peace on Earth, but I know you get twitchy about that ever since that whole thing with the Martians. I guess if there was just one more thing, I'd ask to win the Powerball when it's at least a billion dollars. Because now that I know that you can win it when it's that high, why wouldn't I want that? That's it for me, Santa. I'll leave cookies out, but on top of the fridge, because this snooter puppy of mine will eat them if he can reach them. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, and whatever other this time of year greeting that you like to hear, please. Safe travels and love to everyone from us here at the Functional Nerds Podcast. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then oh squirrel. Oh for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.